There's something very sweet to consider together and to read upon and to meditate upon the love of God. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, the Savior, the love of the Holy Ghost. It's a very sweet doctrine to consider. And this verse here, verse 21, it, 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 it bound, overflows with, it's, it's bountiful with the truths of the love of God. And it speaks of the Father's love and it speaks of the Savior's love. But it also hints at the, at the Spirit's love, for it is the Spirit that comes. It's the Spirit that applies within our hearts the, 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 the redemption that has been purchased by Christ. It is the Spirit that opens our hearts that we would understand. It is the Spirit who was mentioned in the selfsame chapter as the comforter given by the Father in the name of Jesus to the people of Jesus, coming to comfort and it's not just that word comfort as in to make us feel better, though it has that aspect. It, the literal meaning is the, is the idea of strengthen, that he comes to strengthen the people of Jesus. Yes, to give comfort to the people of Jesus, but in that word, and it is a full word uh, in the Greek, it, it even has aspects of rebuke. That is, he comes to correct and to help the, the, the child of God, that when you're, when you're, when you're, in the world or in the church or wherever you are and you, you, you've done something wrong, you've done something that is not right or there is something on your lips or you're about to do something, that you know something of the inner witness and the inner correcting witness of the Holy Ghost uh, to stop you, to make you bite your tongue, to make you think, no, that's not a right decision, to say nothing or immediately to apologize for what did fall out over your lips. And so the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, there is the love of the Holy Ghost in that he would come into a sinner's heart and apply the work of Christ. But then indwell that sinner and continue to indwell that sinner because that sinner who was saved at that moment is not pure and holy, although he be legally declared so in heaven. There is much still to be corrected, still much to be changed, still much to be sanctified in that sinner. But the love of the Holy Ghost to the people of Christ is immense that he suffers greatly the filthiness but it is his work it is his privilege to do that which is after his name to make holy the Spirit of God entering in to make holy hence his title the Holy Ghost when only does he love us and, and apply to us the work by Christ but he makes real to us to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. He opens our eyes, he renews our wills, he causes us to embrace the Lord in the gospel. And so therefore we know something of the love of Jesus also, and something of the love of the Father. And it's those aspects especially that we consider together in verse uh, 21. Now, verse 21 itself, as it, as it opens up and helps us to understand many aspects, it also contradicts many errors in the church. This love of God, this true love, this true love of the true God received through the true gospel and the one true Savior. And as we will open up the word uh, with the Lord's help, we will see that. There are many, many aspects in the church. Legalism is one. Where the commandments of Christ are, 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 are used and misused 
in order to buy or bribe God to obtain salvation, contrary to the gospel of God's grace. There's another, there's another error that's in the church, or a heresy we could say, that's, that's hinted at in verse 21, which is something called antinomianism. Those that say that, 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 that Christ died for you, uh, um, that Christ died for your sins uh, so that you could break the law. There is no keeping, there are no Ten Commandments for a Christian is what antinomianism teaches. Of course, that is, a, is not just, uh, well, <laughs> that's certainly not error, that's heresy. No, Christ died for our sins to make us holy. That is, the, that is the desire of God, that his people would be holy as he is holy. Uh, another, uh, another, a couple of aspects that are, are really pointed at in, uh, in verse 21 when we consider them is something called easy believism. Easy believism, very strong in the in, in evangelical world uh, in North America, but also in Europe, it has to be said. Easy believism, uh, a twisting of Scripture, w- w- where we have then true repentance and faith are replaced by merely saying a prayer. Merely, merely saying a prayer, and no change takes place because no change has been desired to take place. There is no turning away from sin, and there is no turning to Christ. There's, there's merely saying a prayer, and apparently you're good to go, but there is no love of Christ. There is no love of the Word of Christ, and many do not even attend church, but have a false hope, which, to quote the confession, will die with them. And related to easy believism is we have something called carnal Christianity. Carnal Christianity, uh, these are not terms that they would use themselves, of course. But uh, carnal Christianity is is this, where the sinner seeks salvation from Christ, but denies his lordship. Denies the lordship of Christ in their life and over them, but is happy to be saved. And such believers, such professing Christians, think that they have a choice in the matter. You don't. You, you either have Christ as Savior and Lord and everything as elder brother, as friend, as God, as teacher, as prophet, as priest, as king, and all these uh, many titles and, 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 and um, offices that the Lord holds above and, uh, uh, and for his people, or you have nothing. You have nothing. Peter mentions in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, "...but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Lord and Savior. Not either or. Not either or. But both. We must have the whole of Christ to have a whole salvation. And so it is in our text today that Christ makes it very clear that the love of God and obedience to his word and salvation and sanctification are not some pick-and-mix idea, but they form one whole, one, one, one gospel package whereby Christ must be Savior and Lord, else he remain your judge, else he would remain your judge. And so with the Lord's gracious help, let us examine from John 14 and 21 something of Christ's love received, and requited. God, Christ's love received and requited. Requited just means returned. That we receive the love from Christ and we return it to him. And so firstly, as we open up 
And this message from John 14 and 21, Christ's love received and requited. We see firstly loving Christ as Lord. Loving Christ as Lord. It says here that he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So we see firstly then possessing Christ's commandments. Possessing Christ's commandments. He says that he that hath my commandments... It's the beginning of mentioning how we truly love the Lord Jesus. And it's not merely physically having a, a copy of the Scriptures in your possession or even uh, just obtaining the most faithful translation of the Scriptures in your own language. Of course, it includes those practical truths. But what it points to is the personal, diligent reading and studying of the Word of God. So you do that privately. The Word of God is something that you feast upon, you feast your soul upon. Uh, you do that as a, as a family as well. But also, it's not just the personal reading and studying, but it's also coming under uh, the means of grace, as are mentioned. That is where God has been pleased to have the public preaching and teaching of His Word. And He has declared that it is a place to come, that He, he commands against the forsaking of the gathering together of ourselves, but because it is the place that the Lord has desired to give His greatest blessing. He has said, where two or three are gathered in my name, that there He will be also, that Christ is present with His church when they gather together in His name. And so He would desire to have that word opened and have that word blessed to us in a much more powerful way. And so... Once that word has gone forth, not only from your private reading, but also from the public preaching and teaching, you are able then to possess the word of Christ, the commandments of Christ, because they've come in through your eyes, through the reading, and ears through the preaching, and you've considered these things, and not only that, you've considered them, but you're learning to apply them in your own life. So it becomes for you not only the, the living word of life, but a living word to change and rule your life. Because by possessing God's word in that way, it will have an effect upon the child of God. It will have an effect. That is the promise of God. I mentioned it in the prayer also. So with possessing Christ's commandments, he say, he that hath my commandments, but we see secondly, keeping Christ's commandments, which flows forth, of course. Not only having them, not only hear it preached and, and having it, but, but being doers also of the word, he that hath my commandments, and keepeth them. He doesn't give us the option. He doesn't say those that, that have the commandments, those that come under the preaching of the Word, those that may have a regular reading of the Word, is insufficient. See, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. It's not just having a, an intellectual nodding acquaintance, yes, yes, this is the Word of God. No, this is, this is the Word of God. God himself, and therefore, if he is the creator, if he is the king, then I am to be subject to him. So we're to be observant of the word, we're to be uh, vigilant, we are to practice the word, we are to see, Lord, where is the practical application of what I read, and what am I to do? What am I to do? How am I to keep thy word? How am I to keep thy Commandments, Because if we're observant of God's Word, we will be subservient to His Word. We acknowledge then that this is the Word of God, 
He is my lawgiver, and I am to be subject to his word, not subject to personal interpretation or subject to human reason, but subject to his word. Because if we say that Christ is our Lord, and this is where we come back to what I mentioned in the introduction, if we confess that Christ is Lord, then we confess that Christ is our Lord, and that his word then is law. And it's the law that we would obey. And that's essentially what the Lord is saying, is is if you say that I am your Lord, then my word is law, and then you are to obey because his law is not grievous. It is not. It is not grievous the commands that he's uh, commanded us to do. If we think of the Ten Commandments, each of those commandments is a command for us to love. Thou shalt have no other gods before me because you are loving the one true and living God and, and you're having no other gods, which of course is hate. It's called spiritual adultery. There's so many things around about that. But the Lord asks us ten times that we are to love. We are to, we are to love the worship that he has revealed in his word and not to go after statues and images. We are to love his name and his titles and his attributes, everything that's connected with him that we are to love would also include his people. We're to love his day. We're to love the the separating of that day when we can have that sweet fellowship with the Lord. We're to love his day. We're to love the parents that he has given us. We're to love the the, um, the authorities that he has put above us. We may not be pleased with with everything that they do, and yet there's still to be a love toward them. We are to love our neighbor and not cause them harm or murder them or even murder ourselves. And so we can continue, and maybe we should. Uh, We are to love our spouse, and we are not to, to commit adultery against them. And if we're not married, we're still to love our future spouse, if the Lord would give us one, and keep ourselves pure and holy for them. And we are to love our neighbor's property and respect their possessions and not steal from them. We are to respect our neighbor's honor and reputation. We're not to lie uh, about them. We're not to lie uh, towards them. We're to therefore love the truth that God commands. And finally, we are to love uh, everything that is our neighbors and love them and love God who has given them all that he has given them. Love the Lord, the Lord that has blessed that person with so much more than thou hast blessed me. Help me to be humbly grateful for what thou hast granted me. So we would not covet We would not be murmuring against God. We would not be uh, spiteful uh, towards our neighbor who has received greater blessings than ourselves, realizing that anything that we have has been given by a good and kind God. So even in that moral law, we understand these these are not laws that are there to crush us. His law is not grievous. No, his law is a law of love that we would love the Lord in all these different ways and we would love our neighbor as ourselves in all these different ways. And therefore, Christ, who is the Lord of love, demands that we would keep his law. If we do not keep his law, what does that make us? Yes, it makes us lawbreakers. It makes us immoral. Any of those Ten Commandments broken makes us immoral, not just the Seventh Commandment. But what it means is that if we are lawbreakers and this law is good and this law is holy and this law is a law of love, what does that make us? It makes us evil. It makes us wicked. It makes us hateful. 
And that's contrary, not just to the law of Christ, that's contrary to Christ. And therefore, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And as I mentioned in the beginning, without Christ as Lord, we cannot have him as Savior. Because being Lord, everything that he has to say is to rule our lives. He knows how our lives are to be led. It's because we don't know how our lives are to be led that we have, we have filled our lives with sin and we've sinned against God and we sin against each other. And so Christ knows how our lives are to be ruled and they are to be ruled by love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The love of God. And if our love towards God is a mere emotion at best, Christ would contradict that here. He does not mention emotion. And if emotion is the driving factor, it's not what the Lord defines. The Lord does not define love towards him as human emotion here or in any other place. I'm not saying there's no place for emotion. Of course, it's there. But he says this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Because you put Christ on the throne in your life. You acknowledge him as king, and you acknowledge his law as good. And Christ says, well, you do that, you really love me. You really love me. He makes it abundantly clear in verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you desire to love the Lord, you keep the commandment. Not just bribe the Lord, not keeping the commandments instead of love, but the keeping of the commandments is an, ex it is an expression of that love. It is a practical love. It is a true love. It's not couched in human emotion or, or some sort of uh, uh, vague, vagueness humans like to live in. It's proven. It's shown. So he says that in verse 15, but he says it also in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And we go to the next chapter and verse 10. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's the different aspects you notice as we're reading. It's the same, it's the same idea, but he comes to the truth at a slightly different angle. There's a slightly different application, slightly different doctrine opened up, but it still comes down to the same, love and obedience. And in verse 14 is the last one we look at. He says, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So, Again, we could, we could, we, we could carry on and, and look at those, those particular verses, but we'll come back to verse 21. The Lord Christ says this then, it is a sign and it is a mark of a true convert to obey the word of God. To know it, first of all, he that hath my commandments, you, you've got to know them and, 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 and be acquainted with them that the knowledge of Christ would do you good as Peter mentioned, as I quoted in the introduction. But you're to keep them. You've got to know them before you can keep them. 
And so if you're, if you're ignorant of the Scriptures and what the Scriptures tell you to live, and you could be sinning against the Lord. There are commandments in the Scriptures, and the Lord says, keep these commandments out of love toward me. And we know there are commandments that we may not keep. But we must. We must. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is long-suffering. And so, as I said, it is a sign and a mark of a true convert, not that you're able to keep every commandment perfectly, because that does not exist, but that you desire and attempt to live out the commandments of Christ, seeking the help from God, seeking the strength, seeking the help of the Holy Ghost, of course, who is that strengthener. Your your desire and attempt to keep those commandments is, of course, because you, you love Him. You love the Lord. I know you might say, preacher, you've preached on something very similar many times. And I must answer, yes, because it keeps on coming up in the Scriptures all the time. The Lord obviously wants me and you to understand this and to apply it more and more. Christ is not interested in lip service. Our brother was talking about the Roman Catholic Church this morning in the adult Bible class. And... In many ways, the Roman Catholic Church is an example of a church that's in many ways happy with lip service. As long as you're attending, as long as you come and you're paying your money, they don't care about your soul, to be honest. But Christ is interested in your soul. He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want hypocrisy. He doesn't want actors in his church. You either belong to him, heart and soul, and, and, and body, sorry, body and soul, and with all your heart and with all your mind, with him as your Lord and your Savior, or you don't. Because Christ demands your love. That's what we see here. Demands your love. Christ, can I say, he deserves your love. But also this, Christ desires your love. And he reveals here how we are to give him our love. Not in word only, not in emotion only. But keeping all of his commandments so as I've mentioned, he is to be your king, he is to be your lord, he is to be your lawgiver, and not in name only. Let Christ, if you say that Christ is your saviour, you say that you love Christ, then what a beautiful thing to be able to say, that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, that you know something of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, then Christ is to rule your mind, he is to rule your heart, he is to rule your desires, he is to rule your tongue, he is to rule your time, he is to rule your actions. Because if Christ does not rule them, who does? Your carnal nature. Ruled as it is by the devil. Now, it may be that by God's grace you can say, 80% of my life I know ruled by Christ. And if it is that much, hallelujah for the grace of the Lord. But who rules that 20%? Everyone who is a true child of Christ must confess there are many parts of life that are not ruled by Christ. They're ruled by a personal desire or laziness, or indifference towards sin, and we think that sin's not too bad. And as I'm preaching you, I'm being fully convicted myself. And yet Christ 
and we say that he is king, and we say he is Lord, and we say he is our Savior, then let him rule. He is not a tyrant. He does not abuse his power, but nailed himself to the cross to save you, which gives him the right to rule you, because he is a sweet king. He is a righteous king. He is a patient king. He is a good king. And if you do not allow him to rule every part of your life, then you're allowing the devil to rule that part of your life. But Christ came to set you free from sin and from Satan. He said it himself in John 8 and verse 36. He says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And how are you free from those besetting sins and those bosom sins and that wickedness that you've, is so ingrained within you? You have his commandments and you keep them in order to love him. Again, not to bribe God, not to impress other people, but knowing that if I keep his commandments, if I keep his commandments, I'm loving him. I'm loving him. In accepting Christ's terms of his lordship, that's how you show that you love him. A love that befits him as lord and as saviour. Why? Because he first loved you. Because he first loved you and he humbled himself for you and he suffered and died for you and Remember this from the preaching of Hebrews 7 and verse 25. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. If you lie so heavily upon the heart of Christ, cannot his word and his rule lay heavily in a good sense upon your heart? May it not direct your life. May it not shine through you in your life. That is loving Christ as Lord. But then the Lord... Our sweet Savior moves on in his teaching and, 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 and says this and speaks of receiving the Father's love. Receiving the Father's love. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And so as we've already seen then, those that truly come to Christ for salvation receive him not only as Savior, they receive him as Lord. These are indications uh, not only of redemption, but of course of the rebirth that opens up the whole of redemption for us. We often think of being saved. He's saved. And we may even speak in the gospel commandment, repent and be saved. And repenting and being saved uh, yes, there we have that redemption, but what happens before then? It is not that you give your life to Christ and then you are reborn. The fact that you can hear the gospel message and you desire to repent and you do repent and you do believe is a, is a, is a fruit and a sign that God has rebirthed you. So when the Spirit of God rebirths your soul, you are enabled to repent and believe. But is this faith? What is this faith? We're just saying 
talking about what faith is, but what faith does is unite us to Christ. It unites us to the Son. And when we're united to the Son by faith, we receive all the benefits of Son as Savior. His blood cleanses us. His righteousness covers us. And therefore we are forgiven of all our sins. We're declared righteous in God's sight. We may stand at peace with God. And that's all achieved by Christ, the Son of God. Why? So that you can now enter into the household of faith. You can enter into the household of God. You can become exactly what Christ is. The child of the Father. So all of those benefits of Christ to redeem you is so that he could bring you into his Father's house. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. When you embrace Christ, freely offered to you in the gospel, you have that peace with God. There is nothing in the way. You have now been united to his Son, and and together with being united uh, spiritually, vitally, uh, morally, united with his Son, you then also become a son, a child of God. Then the Father can love you and adopt you as his very own child. Isn't that true? Isn't that wonderful to consider that? The true salvation does not just leave you only with the Son, how glorious that is, but brings you into relationship with the Father. And as we've already looked at, that has already been worked in you by the Holy Ghost, who also has other titles in the Scriptures, just two of which I want to mention. He is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Christ. So here we have the Spirit, and we have applying the work of the Son, and when that work is applied to you, you then come into the family of God, and the Son's Father becomes your Father. And as we understood from John 14 and verse 6, no man cometh unto the Father but my me. To come to the Father, we must have the Son. But see also the work of the Son is to bring us to the Father. I'm sorry, it's also the work of the Father to draw us to the Son. John 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So the Father draws you to Christ through his Spirit. And then the Son draws you to the Father. So that Christ can bring them to him. And now that there is peace through the Son with the Father, there's absolute peace. There is absolute forgiveness of sin. There is nothing. There's no sand in the ointment. Even something as small as that, there is nothing that would, 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 would cause any lack of peace. Because the wrath has been paid for. There is no wrath, which means that, all of, that you have peace with God, which means that all the love of God can flow freely through the Son and to you and therefore you now receive all these things from the father you receive his love you receive his compassion you receive his patience you receive his pity you receive his kindness you also receive his chastisement as a loving father to correct you to bring you back onto the straight and narrow as it were 
to make you more and more like his only begotten son. You've been brought into his household and we are to become more and more like his only begotten and ever beloved son. And what's so glorious more about this heavenly father is that he will never reject you. He will never reject you. He will never despise you. He is a good heavenly father. He has a sweet nature. He has a good heart. Remember, the Lord said to, to, um, to Philip, he says, have I, be yet been, uh, I, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Because he and the Father are one. He is as good as Christ. He is as compassionate as Christ. His love is as sweet as Christ's. And he loves you because you love his Son. He loves you because you love his Son, and you prove that you love his Son by keeping his Son's commandments. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he, is, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. We do not merely have to accept this as an intellectual knowledge. Say, yes, of course, the, the Bible says so, then, and I will understand it, but we may know it personally. The Father. We know something more of the Father's love. It says, He that loveth me, and he sorry, and he that loveth me, by keeping my commandments, shall be loved of my Father. What does that mean then? Well, it's the future tense there. Shall be loved. The idea is the more and more that we subject ourselves and our lives and our thoughts and our words to the word of Christ. What does that mean? It means we may enjoy and we may experience more and more of the Father's love towards us. The, 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 these, these, these bosom sins, these besetting sins, these, these bad attitudes, these unbiblical uh, ways of doing things are standing in the way between us and God. And when they're cleared out the way, when they are repented of, when they are understood that it's not according to the Scriptures, this is not the rule of Christ, but the rule of the flesh or the rule of Satan, and, and by God's grace we remove them out the way, what does that mean? Is that means we, we are, our hearts and our lives and our souls are more and more open to receive the love of the Father. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Could you say, is that a reward for gospel obedience? Yes. Yes. You haven't earned anything. You've already been saved and you've come into a relationship with the Father and the Father sees how you love the word of His Son, how you love His Son and you prove it by your obedience and being subject to Him as King and Lord and, and all these other things. But He sees that your understanding and, and your experience of the word of Christ means that you become more sensitized, you become more sanctified and to use a more general term, you become more gracious. The grace of God has more work within you, has its work, so that you receive more of the love of the Father and you are enabled more and more to love the Son. So we therefore can speak of a, of a growth in love and a, gross, a growth in grace towards God and a growth in experiencing the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The th loving Christ as Lord, first point. Secondly, receiving the Father's love. And finally, experiencing more of Christ. Experiencing more of Christ. So he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. 
And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Notice the logic that the Lord reveals to us in that verse. He says, having and keeping Christ's commandments is loving Christ. He then says, whoever loves Christ will be loved by Christ's Father. And then he says, then Christ will love him and reveal himself more to him. All of which is preceded by the work of the Spirit, as has already been mentioned. I think we can understand these steps as we come to look at the very uh, last point, and I will love him and will manifest myself to them. We can understand in those two ways that something, firstly, in, in terms of the gospel, in terms of the gospel, when the gospel comes to the sinner and the sinner comes to God and obeys the command of Christ to repent and believe. That commandment, that gospel commandment is obeyed. And there's a complete change, of course, that the Father loves them and embraces them and adopts them. But also secondly, and as I hinted at in the last, in the last point, it is also in terms of growth in grace to those who are saved. So we see then that Christ promises then that I will love him. Christ's love we see, and I will love him. Obedience to the Son's word, followed by the love, acceptance, and adoption by the Son's Father. And then the promise of Christ's own sweet and sustaining love. That's what we have then, obedience, sonship, and Christ's love in that exact order. Uh, not only at conversion, as I mentioned, but also in the life of the believer. Obedience, sonship, and Christ's love. As you grow in the knowledge of Christ's word, and you grow in the obedience and submission to his rule, what is it you receive greater assurance of faith? For those that struggle with assurance of faith, here is the truth. Our confession spends a whole chapter examining the assurance of the faith, but it comes down to this. You will receive greater assurance of trusting Jesus, of having faith in the Son. And it's also experience then of having a greater assurance and stability in your own sonship to the Father. Because your identity in Christ also includes your shared sonship, your shared sonship with Christ to the Father. It's also part of your identity in Christ. And you cannot say that you experience Christ's love but have nothing to do with the Father. As if the Father's love is a second-hand love and has got nothing to do with the Savior's love. The Savior spends all his time in the, in the ministry pointing to the Father. And therefore it is so important that we understand and experience the Father's love. You can't say you have nothing to do with the Father if you say that you have Christ's love. And you, as a, going back one step further, and you can't say that you have Christ if you're not subservient, submitted, lying down as it were, subservient to every word of God. As I mentioned in the introduction, it is one package. And that order is clearly given to us by Christ. That order. It's an important order to understand obedience, sonship, and love. But what this promise of Christ's love is, as we read it here in the, in the context, uh, may emphasize his love as an elder brother 
more than anything else. We have the, his love as Lord, his love as King, as ruler, the love that he then opens up that belongs to the Father. But he says here, and, I will lo and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, that the Father and we as his children, and I will love him. He will love him entirely, but just see that strict, uh, tight context that he will love him as an elder brother. I don't know if you've ever had an elder brother. I've never had an elder brother. But that, let not, let not uh, the, the, those uh, family situations, maybe you are an elder brother, but let not those family situations um, contradict what we're trying to understand here. He is an elder brother. What is the perfect elder brother? The perfect elder brother protects. The perfect elder brother cares. The perfect elder brother supports. And the perfect elder brother loves his siblings. He's there. He's never far away. You're the bully in the, in the, in the school playground. And the brother's not far away. And he's there to come to the aid. He's there to, to rescue. He's there to support. He's there to sit down and give that encouraging word to us. See that you're, you're down. Can I help you with something? You're saving up for something. You haven't quite got enough money, as it were. And, and big brother comes along with the extra $5 that you needed. And I will love him as an elder brother, as well as a king. And as we read also in chapter 15 and verse 13, as a friend as a friend sorry verse 14 ye are my friends if you do whatsoever i command you so we've seen christ's love then that sweet love that's given to those who are adopted into the family by the father and then finally christ's presence and i will manifest myself to him and i will manifest myself to him And suggest there are two truths in this when we consider in context concerning Christ's love to his brethren. <clears throat> and I will manifest myself to him. Firstly, the personal experience of Christ. Christ will make himself known more and more to the heart and the soul and the mind of the believer. Believer, you know that these are sweet moments. When the Lord, as it were, touches your heart, with, when the Lord, as it were, embraces you in your great time of need. And he reveals himself. And he takes his word. And he takes that word of his own and he applies it into your heart and, co and gives that comfort and that rebuke and that instruction and whatever else he desires to make use of that word. And, and he does it. And, and we know something of that personal work of the Lord Jesus through his spirit within us. And he opens himself up more and more to us that he is sweet, that he is supporting, that, that he is kind, that he is patient. And we come to know personally the Lord Jesus Christ as he's revealed to us in the Scriptures. We get to know him personally more and more and more, and he becomes more of a living Savior because he has that work within us. He does that work within us. He takes his word and he confirms the truth and the power of his word as the knowledge of his word abides in us and we apply it in our lives. And so those days of despair, those times of loneliness, those periods of illness, 
means that we are sustained by the sweet love of Jesus to us, by his very presence, by his closeness, and even by revealing to us more and more the love of the Father. But finally then, the personal, not only the personal experience of Christ, but the personal expression of Christ-likeness. Because as, as Christ draws close, as he, as he makes that word of his more living, as he makes us more hungry for the word and, and for sanctification by the word and obedience, subservience to his word, it has a great effect within us. So all these truths about the experienced love of Jesus and the Father and the work of the Holy Ghost is all wonderful, but it has an effect upon those who are truly saved. It has a powerful effect. Now that power may increase and decrease because of God's grace, but also because of our own obedience or disobedience. But it has an effect because Christ manifests himself not only to the believer, but in the believer. And Christ, by His Spirit and by the direction of His Word, and all those things that we've already covered and looked at, there is a wonderful, wonderful effect that's made in the life of this broken and sin-damaged believer. We even looked at it last time, comparing ourselves to a piano, a broken piano, a rotten piano. And so what does the, he then do? He's, he, he, sort of, he works upon those rough carnal edges. He's, he's busy cutting away the, 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 the rubbish and, he's, and, and polishing up each face uh, to make us from a, a rough and a dirty stone found in the ground into a polished diamond that he will set in his eternal temple. And that includes the life of sanctification before glorification. But if there is no sanctification, let me say a very unfortunate truth, there will be no glorification. By their fruit you shall know them. And it is by the Lord doing this, it is by cutting off those rough pits, it is, it is by his so cleaning and, 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 and cutting and shaping and molding and polishing that what happens then is the indwelling Spirit of Christ, the indwelling Christ is able to shine out more and more. Christ, as it were, transfigured in and through the life of the saved sinner. And as the Lord does that, more and more being able to be subject to Christ's rule. It, it is, believers, it's a win-win situation. And Christ gets all the glory, left, right, and center. He continues to get all the glory. And we talk of love. If we love the Lord Jesus, would we not want him to receive all the glory? Of course. And there is other things that I could say as we look at these things, but we will leave it at this point. And just to say this, that God has not left us as orphans. He hasn't delivered us out of the household of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. He's adopted us as his own children. And it is the work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost to refine us and to cut us and to polish us that we would resemble Christ. Now we may be very poor shadows and resemblances of Christ, but it pleases the Lord to do so and to continue to do so. And if you think to yourself, uh, as you've heard the preaching, you think, well, 
I don't seem to be making much progress. And might it be that you've backslidden into sin and need to repent and believe once again on the Lord Jesus Christ. We must love Jesus on his terms, that he would be the king, that we would truly love him and love his Father also. May God grant us grace. Let us close in prayer, please. Lord, we do thank thee for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, for having learned something more about the sweet love of the triune God towards us, the love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, being taught not to be carnal about our love, to be emotionally driven, but learning what Jesus says love is to him. And Lord, we may have so many habits that are ingrained that prevent us doing so. And so we pray for power from heaven. We pray from grace from heaven that we would no longer be little tyrants over our lives, ruling ourselves and maybe others, but Lord, that we would be subject to the rule of Jesus and so bring him much glory. Will that help us in our great weaknesses? Father, please do so, for we pray in the name of thy Son. Amen. Amen. Please take up, please take up your hymn books to hymn 22, please. Hymn 22, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Let us sing of the glories of the faithful and unchanging God we've just been preaching of. Stand to sing hymn 22, please.
and addiction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.